Hey, thanks for joining us online. If you just joined us uh, and you're new around here, welcome. We'd love to know who you are just so we can help pastor you down the road. And if you call Whitewater home, we just encourage you to continue to give generously online. You can find links to those two things in the notes section or in the comments section. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of the service. In a church the size of Whitewater, the potential to impact our community in a positive way is huge. Guys, church is not that complicated. Love God, love your neighbor, not just the people who live near you, but that's a great place to start. That's what the For My Street initiative is all about. We are challenging you to be the church unleashed during the week. Hey, we are for a lot of things today. I'm for Thursday night. Yay, God, for you Thursday night people. Yay, God, for you folks watching online. We are for our schools. We're for our church. We're for our town. And last Sunday afternoon, we were for Family Fest. Any of y'all come to Family Fest? Huge success. If you weren't there, let me kind of give you a little uh, preview, a little overview of what it was. Check this out. Cause all that I want is for you to be happy Give me a chance to show that you can be Well open your eyes and you'll see the way I see Cause all that I want is for you to be happy with me They say a thousand words. I've heard them all before. It was awesome, y'all. Anytime you can combine chicken from Ron's Roost, Tilt the World, the Scrambler, maybe not all in one minute, but it's pretty good. We had 549, by our count, 549 identifiable brand new guests that appeared at Way to Go, inviting, investing. Over 1,100 people total there. Uh, many have never uh, even come to this site yet, but you are being a good neighbor. It syncs so well with our For Our Street conversation. And we are talking this month about how to be more For Our Street. Now, maybe you don't live on a street. Maybe you're in an apartment. You can be for your apartment. You can be for your condo. Why would we allocate a whole month of teaching to this? Here's why. Honestly, I don't see a plan B to fix the problems of this broken and worried world other than Jesus and the church working right. I mean, do you? I mean, if I, if I could find another way, I'm going to invest in it. I'm going to put my heart into it. Jesus and the church unleashed is the God-ordained redemptive agency that the future of this entire planet hangs on. Let me repeat that. Jesus and the church unleashed, you and I, doing what we're called to do, working right, is the God-ordained redemptive agency that the future of this entire planet hangs on. So we're doing this series to increase that outward-focused perspective, to be salt, like we talked about last week, and in increase the invitability factor in our church. Talking about how can we can further reach the 301,000 people who live within 10 miles of our building here. And we are asking you, 
I know this is a little scary. We're asking you to go out of your comfort zone, go out of your, into the zone of the unknown and be an evangelist and a chaplain for your street and your neighborhood. Now this is a paradigm shift. Here's why. Used to be helping people come to faith in Jesus used to look like this, and I'll give you A, B, and C. And for years we operated this way and still do to some degree. One, you invite a friend to church. B, number two, the friend comes to church. Number three, the preacher closes the deal. And if you're counting on me, man, don't put your trust in me for all of that. And that still works. And many of you found help in helping Jesus this way. But is that the New Testament pattern where the members just invite and the holy man up here converts? I don't think so. The New Testament pattern is for all of us to be salt and light in our classrooms, our companies, our communities. But folks are really hesitant to do this. And why are folks so hesitant to do this? Why is church, are churches like ours and other churches not more outward focused? And if you're brand new today, we're gonna to talk about you for a little bit. We want, you're part of us here today, but we're gonna talk about you. This will make a lot of sense to you who are outside the church. You're thinking, what's up with these church people? But I wanna to talk to those of us inside about how to be more outside focused. And I wanna give you some reasons why. We'll see how many I get to here. Number one, I think people are afraid to be more for our street is, that, is because many don't know what evangelism is. When we say the word evangelist, we don't know that we're that. When we say evangelist or evangelism, we think of Billy Graham or David Vaughn, and I could never be those guys. Thank God you're not like me. The world can only handle one of them. Or we don't wanna be that guy. That overly aggressive dude that's in your face. I saw him at the Reds game the other day with that megaphone, like shout, you know, we got drive-by shoes. This is drive-by shoutings. I mean, that guy's yelling because we don't want to be that guy. Other people don't want to be someone else's project. People can sniff out if you're over aggressive, if you're trying to peddle something, even if that something is Jesus. Uh, I saw a humorous parody on this this week on a short video, I wanna show it to you. Here is how not to be for your neighbor. Here's how not to do it. Check this dude out. Sir, just, just level with me. What's it gonna to take to get my savior in your heart today? Okay, I'll throw in the prayer, my testimony, and a Corinthian leather Bible at no additional cost. I mean, I hope there's a good Samaritan around because you're robbing me. I'm out here using my sales know-how to rack up some salvation points on the big scoreboard in the sky. Look, I'm not pulling your leg here. This is some high quality Christianity. I am giving you a five-star faith at a no-star price. I'm gonna get in trouble with my boss when he finds out that I let you walk out of here with a relationship with Christ for absolutely nothing. I think people are confused about which religion is right for them. There's a lot of them out there, you know, and they need somebody to sell them on the right one. Okay, well, well, come back. Come here. I'm not supposed to do this, but Ten Commandments is too many for you, right? All right. How about this? I'll knock off eight of those. All you have to do is love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's as low as I can go. I mean it. I'm doing great. I've actually prayed with a few people and I got their contact info and I can call them up in a couple of months and ask them if they'd like to rededicate their lives to Christ. 
But this time last year, I was doing double the business. With the economy the way it is, people are a lot more frugal with their faith. <laughs> Religiously speaking, it's definitely a buyer's market. That'll bring your prayer payment down to two prayers a day. That's a measly 60 prayers a month. That's a great deal. I mean, with these low prices, Jesus is practically giving salvation away. Nobody wants to be that dude. Nobody wants to be a salesman, a huckster for Jesus, and that's not your job. When we ask you to be for your street, we're not asking you to be a salesman. We're asking you to be a shepherd, to basically care, love, and serve that one sheep. So I think first reason people don't want to be maybe for their street, they don't know what evangelism is. Number two, some think evangelism is the pastor's job or the staff's job, like we already mentioned. We pay the holy man to do this holy work. Uh, no, I'm just saying, I love that and I do that because that's what Christians do. You should do the same. Fear of the unknown or fear of rejection also stops a lot of people. We, we don't know what we're going to get involved with. We don't want to get involved with people. We fear they're going to laugh or reject us. Some church members, I'm convinced, aren't convinced about lostness. And therefore, we don't have a heart or a motive to go. I think, even though you never admit it to me because I'm like your preacher and you know I'll go off on you if you say this, a lot of people really think, well, Dave, I know you're talking about that heaven and hell stuff, but you know, Dave, don't all roads just kind of lead to the same way? All religions, you know, we're all kind of working together. We're trying to get to the same place. I think really it all work out in the end. You would be surprised how many people in the church believe that, even though that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, not one way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So when you believe there's a real heaven, real hell, and real people are going there, there's a passion. Sometimes church members aren't convinced about lostness in that way. I think another thing that happens is some of us have been Christians for a long time, and I have to work at this myself, and maybe we don't reach people because we don't know any lost people. We've been spending all our time hanging around with the already found. That's why you got to get out of the salt shaker and be salt and light. If we're honest, we're talking about for our street, for our neighbors. If we're honest, a lot of us don't even know our neighbors anymore. Maybe there's a good reason why you don't want to know your neighbors. But that's what being a good neighbor is. So think through how you can intentionally rub shoulders and elbows with people who are closest to you in proximity. You know, another reason I think is many of us are not sure what to say. And I'm gonna unpack that more next week, but uh, today might help you a little bit. In fact, over the next three weeks, we're gonna present a concept, a formula that uh, we're calling 3D living. 3D living. The 3D living stands for develop friendships, which we're gonna to unpack today, discover stories, and discern next steps. That's the formula that if I think you master, you'll be the best evangelist this church has ever sent out. Now, I want to talk about developing friendships tonight with those outside the family of God. And what I want to do, it is shared in the context of Matthew chapter 9. And in fact, all my scriptures are in this one chapter here. And let me start in Matthew 9, verse number 9. As Jesus went on from there, and part of being a good neighbor for your street is going on, going out... Not, remember, not, you know, we're standing on the promises, not sitting on the premises. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Part of being for your street and an outward focused person is to see people. 
You will not lock eyes with anybody this week that doesn't matter to Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked about that last week. That is so critical. Is, is in your life, where, where you are now, as you walk through, as you go through life, see people the way God sees them. Don't be, just see your own needs. See other people's needs. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So Matthew is a tax collector. Nobody likes taxes now. They hated him then. Follow me, he told Matthew, and Matthew got up and followed him. Notice Jesus said, follow me. It's a personal thing. It's not, uh, following Christianity is not, following Jesus is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a religion that's transactional. It's a, a conversation about a person that's relational. Follow me. And he followed him. And notice it, in short order what happened. Matthew throws this kind of dinner. It's like a Matthew party. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So Matthew called his buddies in, those outsiders, those sinners, those tax collectors. They all want to come in here. Matthew must have been a very prominent guy. They knew who he was. If Matthew found Jesus, I, I, these guys say, I, I think I need to check him out. And when the Pharisees saw this, now notice the juxtaposed here, Jesus saw Matthew. The Pharisees see this happening. They're seeing life and people through a different lens. They see him as problems. They see him as sinners. They see him as uh, instigators, no goods. When they saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, is not the healthy, I love this statement, it's not the healthy who need a sick, need a doctor, but the sick. Man, what a, what, what a strong statement. It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. So who is he talking to here? He, he's not talking to those who know they're ill, who know they're sick. He's talking to those who think they're well, but they're the sickest people in the room. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, Jesus says. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, Jesus says. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I love what the message, this is the New International Version. Let me read to you the message, which is kind of the mo a modern version of this same passage. Listen to these words. I think it, it defines it in our terms a little better. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. And Matthew stood up and followed him. And later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. And when the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus' followers. That's so right. What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? And Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, you guys, the healthy or the sick? But go and figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. That sounds like what we've been talking about. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. So Jesus was all about bringing the outsider in. See, the Pharisees, they had the, the how-to, but they lacked the heart-to. They were really legalistic people. And a lot of outsiders have been turned off by Jesus because we treat them like they're no good. Jesus ate 
with these folks. He got close to these folks. We'll skip down to Matthew 9, verse number 27. Look at another verse, another story. This time, some other people involved who have some serious issues. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Notice he is welcoming the blind people now. Before it was tax collectors and sinners, now it's blind people. In their day, the Pharisees, religious, they didn't want that kind of riffraff. They didn't want those diseased, those handicapped people around them. Jesus' heart was so big for people who look different, act different, the last, the least, the lost. He's asking them questions. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. See, faith is so critical if you want to get healed. Then he touched their eyes. By the way, he'll touch your eyes to see people differently too. The Pharisees were the real blind people here, not the physically blind, the spiritually blind. How many of us are blind to the needs of our neighbor, blind to the needs of our world, blind to our own sin? We're so good at picking it out and identifying it in other people. We're so slow to identify it in ourselves. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And I love this about Jesus. He's like the, mo the most genius marketing dude ever. He's, he warned them sternly after their sight was restored. See that no one knows about this. In other words, don't tell anybody what I did for you. <laughs> if you were blind and now you can see, do you think you're going to tell somebody? Do you think it's not like obvious you're not running into stuff anymore? You don't need to cane. You don't need to beg. You don't need their help. I don't, I don't know if he's losing like reverse psychology or what, but they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. And while they were going out, oh, he's not done. A man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Jesus will anoint your eyes. Jesus will anoint your mouth, your tongue to tell. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute, he spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. One of my prayers after doing this series, as you go and be your, for your neighborhood and for your schools and for your relationships, your cubicles and your companies and your communities, your classrooms, one of my prayers is that that will be said about you. Nothing like this has been seen on my street before. That dude that lives down there, he's a Christian and he's loving us, he's serving us, he's involved with us, he's helping to get us on a path of healing. But the Pharisees, oh, they're real excited now. The Pharisees said it is by the prince of demons that he drives them out. They're not only against him, now they're blaming. Remember, we had a lesson on this a while ago on the, what is the blasphemy of the spirit, the unpardonable sin, attributing the works of God to the works of the devil. They're saying not only is he not godly, he does that by his, the demon power. Really? Are those guys so blind that they can't even speak the way they should? And then Jesus, the Matthew here sums it all up. And this is written now by Matthew. Okay, this is the dude we're talking about. Jesus went through all the towns, all the streets, all the villages. He's for all those places. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, there's that word again. Jesus sees. Part of you being a good neighbor, just seeing people for who they are. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So his heart's involved because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, this has kept me up some at night, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers, those who are for our street, for our neighbors, for lost people, they're few for the reasons we're listing now. Ask the Lord of the harvest, pray for the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Notice what Jesus does not pray. Lord, I pray that you would raise up more men and women to go to Bible college and be vocational ministers. Is that what he's praying? That's not necessarily a bad thing, but is that what what his prayer is? Lord, I'm praying that we'll build another addition on a a church building. As nice as this is, that's not what he's praying for. God, I I ask the Lord to provide more programs, to provide more money, to provide more worship services. He doesn't know. What is he asking for? Send out workers into the harvest field. Notice that the limiter is not the fields or the harvest. It's abundant, friend. Just look out all around you. He is praying for the harvesters. That's the problem, the workers. And so Jesus asked the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Why? Because the church is not something that you go to. It's something that you go from. The church working right is not where you sit and you soak, but you go and you serve and you be. It's a gathering, but there's a scattering. And Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was for his street and we should be too. So how do you do that in a practical way? How does someone love where they live? And so in my remaining time, I just wanna give you a few helpful hints that I have learned about how to develop redemptive friendships Uh, with a shout out to a guy that I read just about everything he writes named Kerry Newhoff for a couple of these as well. And these, this is the way you can develop these friendships. The first, uh, uh, phase of what we're talking about on 3d living, developing friendships. You ready? Number one, and anybody in here, I'm telling you, you can do this. The more you do it, the more you practice it, the easier it is. Number one, pray for them. Not in that Christianese, I'll say a prayer for you way. Make Praying for your unchurched neighbors, your family, your co-workers, your friends, make prayer a priority for them. A lot of people are trying this prayer walking now. They found success. They walk their neighborhoods. Y'all need to exercise anyway. So while you're walking, pray for that person. Get to know their name. Remember last week, the secret of the church, the prayers went up, the power came down, the people went out. Number two thing you can do, and boy, pray for all of us as we work on this. Live with integrity because those people are watching you. They're watching you. See, people come to Jesus because they've met a Christian. And sadly, some people don't come to Jesus exactly because they've met a Christian or someone who says they're a Christian. Hear me now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I heard about this man who was being tailgated by a very stressed out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly the light turned yellow just in front of him and the guy did the right thing. He stopped at the crosswalk. But the woman behind him, that tailgating woman, was furious. She honked her horn. She gave him some gestures that are common out there. She screamed in frustration because she wanted to get through that intersection. As she was still in mid-rant, She heard a tap on her window, looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. 
He ordered her to exit the car with her hands up. He took her to the police station. She was searched. She was fingerprinted, placed in a holding cell. After a couple hours, the cop came back, opened the door, escorted her back to the booking desk with her personal effects. He said, I'm very sorry for this mistake. He said, I pulled up behind your car while you were in that intersection. I saw you blowing your horn, flipping off the guy in front of you, cussing a blue streak. I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker on your car, the choose life license plate holder, and the chrome plated Jesus fish emblem on your trunk. Naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> Listen, people are watching you. Now I'm not saying you have to be perfect. They're not looking for that. They're just not looking, they're looking for real, authentic. They're just not looking for fake. Be loving, be real, be genuine. Now, this is going to be hard. I'm just going to, you know, as I like to do from time to time, I like to push you a little bit. I may push a few buttons in what I'm going to say now. It's going to be hard for some of us to hear. A little nervous about it, a little anxious. Got to say it. If you want to be effective right now in sharing Jesus, stop mixing faith and politics together. The gospel of Jesus is much bigger than our political party and policy. I'm just as conservative a guy. You have no idea how conservative I really am. But David, my political view is right. Well, it could be. Mine's right too. But I'm telling you, when you assume that everybody you talk to needs to align with your party, and it's the same thing as aligning with Jesus, you're cutting off people who might be interested in Jesus, but they could care less about Republicans and Democrats. And as the election season comes next year, I'm already sick of it and we ain't even started. So who is in this house for Jesus is more important than who's in the White House, as important as that is. Don't put the two together. Unattach, unhook yourself from politics to talk about relationship with Jesus. Because our culture right now is very polarized, it can, it's even nasty, and great evangelism is about listening more than talking. And the best on-ramp, I think, today to build relational networks and get through relational barriers is listening to people. I know Facebook is wonderful. We love making statements these days through Facebook. And there's a time and a place for big truths to be declared with big, bold statements. Jesus did it, so should we. But when all our Christian communication is about making big posts on Facebook, we may win the battle and lose the war. So the question is, do you want, in an argue, want to win an argument or do you want to win a friend to Jesus? So here's a good axiom to practice. Are you ready? A little cheesy, but that's me. Tweet others the way you want to be tweeted. <laughs> oh, that's gold. Y'all better write that down. Tweet others the way that you want to be treated. Be a good digital neighbor. Now, maybe you've heard about this new thing on Twitter right now, by the way. There's a new trend. Those of you who have a phone, you, you might get this. You may already have been hit with it. Twitter is known for trends, and the latest has a lot of people confused. People are texting what they call their number neighbor now, which is a cell number, one digit from their own. And they're saying, you're my number neighbor and they're sharing the entire random conversation online. Some of them are hilarious. Some of them are R-rated. Some of them don't want anything to do with their number neighbor. Some have actually met and had lunch. And so the world is looking for neighbors. They're looking for people who are for their street, even on cell phones. 
And the mission of the church, and churches get confused about this sometimes, the mission of the church is not to go out into the world in outrage and shape it up. I don't know if you've noticed, but people resist being changed, even if they want to change. You can't have this idea, you know, we're going to go online and fix all you messed up people out there so you quit being messed up and be like normal like all of us. I, I don't know. I've been online a lot. Not many are converted through online banter. That's what I've said. It's a, it's a conversation. Don't blow up the conversation before you actually can have the conversation. I, I know that's hard for some of us to hear, but our job is not to fix the world. I'll let you in on a little secret. The world is never going to be finally and fully fixed until Jesus comes back to fix it. Fixing the world is Jesus' job, not ours. He's quite good at it. Our job is to love and to listen and earn the right to be heard. And eventually, you may get the opportunity to invite someone to a Thursday service or a Sunday service. And if you do invite them to come, you know what you want? You want it to go well in here. People often saddle up to me and say, hey, David, I got a friend coming to church today. I just want you to know. Now, what they really mean is don't mess this up. <laughs> don't say something stupid. You know, don't, don't mess this up. We average about 35 brand new folks around here showing up for a worship service each week that we're aware of, uh, ones that we can count. And we can spot them really quickly when they're in our midst. New people tend to want to sit toward the back, not always, but they want to sit toward the back. They want to know, are the snakes coming out? Uh, what, what kind of place is this? They want to be anonymous. They may not sing very much. Here's another sign when I know our church is really reaching these kind of people. It's when I hear insiders, maybe longtime members, get a little unsettled and they start to mumble. They'll say things like this, you know what, they, there seems to be a lot of those people, though, whoever those people are around. It kind of sounds like he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Not all long-term Christians get upset, but some do, because new people are messy. We don't look like them. They may not behave like us. They may not share the same moral value. David, don't you know there's messed up people sitting out there on Sunday and Thursday? They're in my seat, and that's where I usually sit. Oh, I love it when that happens. And what they don't know is that they're the most messed up people alive, those insider people, because they don't think they have any problems. All of us are a little messy. In fact, just look at your neighbor to your left. Would you just do that? I know it's a scary thing. Say, I'm messy. Go ahead and tell them that. To the person to your left, I'm messy. Yeah? Okay, now turn to the person on the other side of you and say, but you really look messed up. I, I, no, I'm sorry. Okay, so back to the list. Back to the list. If you want to have redemptive relationships, because i got to close up, pray with them, live with integrity, be available. Seldom does the opportunity to serve your neighbor come at a convenient time. And a lot of people are most easily reached when there's a trauma, a brokenness, a scandal, uh, an embarrassment. I have reached out to numerous famous and infamous people in town when they hit bottom. And it's amazing what God will do because those people are hurting. Next, look at your job as your primary outreach avenue. Now, Chuck Proudfit is going to unpack this more over Labor Day weekend, but it's the concept that I heard a long time ago about a guy who was working at Walmart. He said, I am a minister of Jesus cleverly disguised as a Walmart greeter. 
That's who you are. You're an evangelist wherever you go. The next thing you do is what I call practice strategic consumerism. Now, this is a fun one. It just basically means the place where you shop, where you eat, where you get your gas. Try to go there on a regular basis and look for the same teller or waitress. Get to know their name. First time I met Mark Crimer, who's a member of our church, been a wonderful blessing at our church. I was eating first at his restaurant. And I didn't even know who Mark Crimer was. I didn't even know it was Crimer. I, and believe it or not, I had some offering boxes back in that day. We had like uh, uh, stacks of offering envelopes, and we would send these out, and sometimes we still do. But we send out, I had these boxes almost trying to decide which one would look good in the seats. <laughs> this is what preachers do, you know. So what kind of offering envelopes would make people give, you know. So I'm sitting there, Mark comes by, I said, what are those? I said, they're offering, offering envelopes. He said, well, can I have some of them? I mean, think about that. Here's a guy I don't even know, doesn't go to our church. He wants a box of offering envelopes. What's he going to, he's going to give? I said, sure, here, I got like another one. I'll drop off another one next week for you. We got to know each other because I now ate, I, I was eating there and I still eat there. You'll be blessed when you look for those opportunities. This has a reciprocal thing too, by the way. Uh, a couple Sundays ago, Donna and I, my wife, went out with our family to lunch at a restaurant over in Harrison. And this waitress came over to our table at the end of our meal and told us there was a couple there who wanted to remain anonymous, who paid for our lunch and even left enough on the gift card for us to come back again. They saw us as we walked to our seats. So this week, I'm going to go around and walk around a new car dealership. And I was, I was just kind of, just see what happens, you know? You never know. But that's pretty good. We might not have to show this one online. Anyway, I uh, practice strategic consumerism. Other thing I would say, don't be afraid of making a mistake. Fear is what keeps us from talking to people about Jesus. You, you might make a few mistakes, but you really can't mess it up. Because Jesus is the one who's having the conversation through the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not say to his disciples, go into all the world and don't make any mistakes. And last, here's the last thing to remember. Remember all of that we're talking about. When you're talking to people, it is a marathon. Have the long-term view. And can I just say this to you from my heart? Never give up on that person. We've had people get baptized here. Their, their family have been praying for them for decades. And for some reason, something clicked and they came to know Jesus. Never give up on that person. Never say, that's a person who's so far gone, they'll never be reached for Jesus. That may be the very moment when God will prick their heart and they'll come. See, when someone finally says yes to Jesus, and you had a part to play in that redemptive drama, you'll know why we say around here, there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. That's why the church has endured for 2,000 years. It's not going away. Even if unbelievers mock it and believers get rocked by it, when everything else is going to sit on the ash heap of history, when every country and their government is going to be by the wayside, when every corporation has shut down and closed its doors, the church and the people in the church who are for the street are the ones that are going to remain. When McDonald's has sold its very last hamburger, when Starbucks has sold its last overpriced latte, when Skyline has sold its last four-way, when Facebook has connected its final friend, when, when Amazon has passed its prime, 
The church of Jesus Christ that he founded, he died for, he's coming back for, friend, that's going to be around for all eternity. I say amen about that. Jesus loves you here tonight more than I can possibly describe. And we desperately want you to be in relationship with him. And if you're new, you need to know this. Jesus came, he died for you. He asked you in turn to believe in him, to repent of your sin, to confess him as Lord, and to be baptized just like Kirsten was tonight. That's how it all begins. That's why we are for our street. And loving and serving and just being there for people is a very powerful thing. Never underestimate the power of being a good neighbor. I want to close out by letting you watch as we end Michael Palmer's story. Check this out. It touched my heart.